Everybody else, we're in uh, John chapter 15 today. John 15. I think one or two of them were excited to leave. Don't know how I feel about that. Um, if you don't have uh, a Bible, there should be one in the um, chair back in front of you, down in the rack, so feel free to pull that out and turn to John 15, and feel free to take that with you if you don't have a Bible of your own. Last week, uh, Brian Jerry walked us through the, the latter half of John 14 and just did a great job. If you weren't here, I would encourage you to look that up on um, iTunes or the church's website and listen to it. Today we come to what, for, um, for those of us that have walked through John before, is often a high point in the book, John uh, chapter 15. By way of introduction, a few comments uh, before we read it. Rightly understood... Uh, Christianity makes the most audacious of all claims. If you get to the heart of what the Christian faith actually is, you'll either want to give your entire life to God and his church, or you'll decide it's absurd and you don't want any of it. There really isn't any middle ground. Christianity at its very core is so daring, so extravagant, so far out there, either it must be true and if true, then God is worthy of literally everything you have. Or it's insanity, and it's dangerous, and it needs to be rebuked as harmful. There, there isn't a middle position if you actually get what Christianity is claiming for itself. And here it is. The core claim of Christianity is that the Christian life is God giving his life to us. It's God himself imparting his life over to us. Christianity is a lot more radical than you may have ever thought. You see, it's not mainly rules to follow or ethics to live by or principles to memorize. It's actually all of that and more. Christianity is God imparting his life to spiritually dead people, awakening us to new life, and then through an ongoing personal relationship with God, Christianity is God transforming us from the inside out. The first week in our sermon series of Christ Our Life, we said it this way. It'll be on the screens. Christianity is the good news that if you are in Christ, then God the Father regards you as he regards Jesus. I can say it again. Christianity is the good news that if you're in Christ, then the Father regards you as he regards Jesus. It's possible for God to regard you as he regards his son because he gives his life over to you. And that's the truth we find in John chapter 15. The essence of Christianity is that God says as he looks at his son or daughter, I see you as I see my son. I see you as I regard Jesus. Friend, when you repent of your sin and believe in Jesus, then you're placed into Christ and therefore, the Father permanently treats you as if you have lived the life of Jesus, if you had died the death of Jesus, and if you were risen, if you rose again the way Jesus was risen again. Because Christians are people united to Jesus. So all of that we could sum up and just say, the Christian life is God living his life through us. 
We dwell in Christ, as Brian talked about last week, and Christ dwells in us. We can live spiritually because Christ is alive. Now, as we turn to chapter 15 of John, one of the ways we find this truth explained in the Bible is by the word abide. It's not a word we use in normal, everyday life, but it's a word of deep biblical meaning. And we'll spend this morning simply talking about that word together. To abide is to become and to remain united with Jesus. That's what the word means in John chapter 15. It's to persist for the rest of your life with Jesus. It's to dwell with him forever. Today we'll come to one of the most famous passages ever written about that core word of Christianity. Jesus is going to use the analogy of a vine and branches. Jesus is the vine, meaning he's the source from which everything good in our lives happens. And we draw nourishment from him if we're believers. And Christians are the branches. We live in constant, intentional dependency upon him. So that's John 15, and I'll read uh, 1 through 11. Would you look with me there in your own Bible? John 15. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I, Jesus talking, I am the vine, and you, his people, are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be not my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. In this tremendous passage... We could spend literally the rest of our Sunday mornings together as a church this year. But I just want to spend this, this morning summarizing the main essence of what Jesus was getting at. Jesus talks here about the fact of abiding, what it is, so we'll spend a few minutes on that. He talks about the means of abiding or, or how we do it the methods we use as Christians to walk with God. And then finally, he talks about what happens when we do it, the result of abiding. So in, in real summary fashion, let's look together at the fact, the means, and the results of abiding. First, the fact of abiding. This is perhaps the most difficult of the three to come to the point of actually believing. Now, I don't believe so much here, mentally saying, yeah, I, I assent to that, but actually settling down in your heart. Yeah, I believe that, and I'm going to trust God in such a way that I'm going to live it out. 
Jesus claims that the only way to have a joyful, meaningful life is to abide in him. Perhaps the most important question I'll ask you today is, do you believe that? Do you believe that the only way to have a meaningful, joyful life is by remaining, by drawing from, by living in Jesus? Do you believe that? Do you believe it such that you are willing to stake everything that you have, everything that you believe, everything that you trust solely upon that? The Bible teaches that human beings are mirrors that were made to reflect. Christian or non-Christian, every human being who ever has lived is a person that's made like a mirror. We see this everywhere we look, in sports teams, hobbies, schools, work, musicians, brands of clothing. All of us are looking for something or someone to belong to. Something to embody, to live for, to to pattern our lives after. It's not mainly a Christian principle I'm talking about. It's simply the way the world works. Human beings are not people made to ultimately be about ourselves. We're made to mirror something or someone beyond us. And so we're all looking for something to belong to. That impulse is as natural as the instinct to take a breath. Nobody has to tell you to breathe, but as we're talking this morning, as we've been singing, praying, visiting with one another, your body has instinctively been taking another breath. That's the way it is with the impulse to mirror. It's simply what it means to be a human being. It's part of the very essence of being alive. You breathe, you mirror. Your physical body needs air, so you breathe, your spiritual, the, the, the soul, the immaterial part of you needs something to mirror, and so you always are looking for it. Ultimately, we're created to reflect God, to mirror being in relationship with him, to reflect aspects of his character to one another. Genesis is real specific. If you read one and two, perhaps later today if you've never looked at it, It says that both men and women are made in the image of God and were made to represent something of who he is and what he's like. That's what it means to mirror. And for centuries, theologians have rightly pointed out that the way we do that, the way we best live, the way we're designed by God to mirror is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. So if that's what life is for, then it's impossible to do that apart from God. Do you understand that? That makes sense? That if we're hardwired as human beings to live in dependency upon God and to mirror who he is to each other, then we're not going to be able to do that without God at work in us. We can't be a reflection of God if God's not at work in us. Because... Without God in us, what we'll actually be reflecting is something far less, something sinful, something that's trying to take the place of God. If you're here today and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, understand in everyday life, you are attempting the impossible. You're trying to live a joyful, meaningful, 
perhaps moralistic life. And it can't be done without God. A truly joyful, productive life cannot be yours without Jesus coming to save you and taking up residence inside of you. And so our prayer today is, is if you're here today and you're not a Christian, that what you're observing as you're among us is not a people who have learned a certain ethical way of life and thus we're more clean and obedient people. What we're hoping you're seeing is people who have come to be aware that apart from God we can do nothing, that we're sinners in desperate need of Him, and that He will come and save us if we recognize that sinfulness. Jesus believed this fact of abiding so much that He claimed in the Scripture that we read that apart from Him, we can do most everything we want to do. Is that what He said? No, he says something much more absurd. He says, apart from him, we can do nothing. That's hard to actually take him at his word there, isn't it? See, it's, it's easier to believe, God, I can do most of what I want to do, but here's a few little things I can't manage on my own. So I need you to save me from my inability to do those few things. But that is actually not Christianity at all. What Jesus says is, apart from his life in us, then we can do nothing of spiritual, lasting good. That it's impossible. And the image that he uses, the analogy of a vine and branches, help us see that in a very natural way. Just like a branch that's severed from a vine shrivels up and dies, it cannot bear fruit. So people shrivel up and become unproductive and die apart from him. Now, not immediately, of course. All of us in the room, at one point or another, have been people who are spiritually dead. And yet some of us in the room are people now alive. Amen? Amen. And friend, you didn't get there by your own good deeds. You didn't get there by becoming smarter. You didn't get there by trying harder. You didn't get there by doing good deeds for other people. You got there simply by giving up, by trusting in Christ alone to save you. How silly would it be to see a vine and a branch and to see a branch disconnected from the vine full of fruit and to think, hey, that, that vine and branch did that apart from each other. That full group of grapes belongs now attached to the vine because it's already bearing good fruit and it's growing and it, it's doing what it's supposed to do. But how often we treat the Christian faith that way. We think, I've got to clean myself up and follow the rules and be better than the next person because then God will graft me in. Then God will love me. Then God will accept me. No, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Some people live a really long time and appear to have meaningful lives apart from God. But ultimately, Jesus says, without me, you cannot live a meaningful, joyful, God-mirroring, productive life. Now, I think in our culture, perhaps the easiest place to see the most successful people who are failing 
is in Hollywood. Hollywood's full of what? Full of movie stars. It's full of beautiful, successful, rich, horribly unhappy people. Why? Well, because they've done what, what we haven't. They've succeeded at the American dream. They're people who have gotten to the very height of what our culture teaches us we should aspire to. But it's a dead-end street. It doesn't work. Living for fame, sex, money, the acclaim of other people won't produce a joyful, meaningful life. Church, you will draw nourishment from somewhere. The substance of your life will be pulled from something. You are a branch, not a vine. If we draw life from God, then we'll increasingly notice that we're becoming more loving, more joyful, more peaceful, more patient, more kind, more good, more gentle, more self-controlled. I think some of the kids may have sung a song about that this week at camp, didn't you? Any kids in here that were at camp this week? There's a few of you. Would you like to come do that song? Unplanned, on the fly, come on up. Come on. Only Abby? Another. All right. Abby and Chloe. Anybody else? Any adult who went to camp this week? Sonia, come on up. And the bouncy Andrew. All right, why don't you make your plan here for a second? Okay. Okay, here we go. Bust it. Last one?
All the adults, next week will be your turn. Silly song, but truthful, right? What are they ultimately saying? They're saying that God takes his own life and exchanges our sin for himself. And then as we grow as Christians, what do we look like? Well, we increasingly look like Christ. We have the fruit, the result of God in us is that we become increasingly more loving, joyful, patient, peaceful, kind, good, gentle, self-controlled people. That that's what God produces in us. So you, you are here today, whether you're a follower of Jesus or this is the first time you've ever heard of these concepts. You are a branch. You are connected to something. You are drawing nourishment from something. If it's God, through Christ by grace, you will increasingly look more and more and more like what they were just singing about. If it's from anything else, then what you're drawing from will ultimately lead to death. It will not work. It won't produce what you're hoping it will. If we try to live life apart from a deep, vital, intimate union with Jesus, then we'll draw nourishment from things that temporarily seem to produce good fruit in our lives, but inevitably they will come up empty. They'll promise life, but really will deliver death. Think about that with me from one of the, the things we draw from the most. Those of you in the room who are parents, particularly of young kids, we're told often, even in the Christian worldview, that give yourself to your kids and give yourself completely over to them. That's your most important job. And when you do that, you'll find meaning and fulfillment. Friend, that's close to the truth, but ultimately that's not the truth. Because if you attach your branch to the vine of your child and it's from your child you draw life, then what will happen? What will happen? You'll die. Why? A, a child is made just like you. They're made to be a mirror of God. They're not made to be a branch from which life springs. So as wonderful and important and a gift and amazing as it is to be a parent, ultimately you will suck yourself to death and also your child if from them you're looking to find your source of life. You'll be a cruddy parent because you'll make life about your child and your child will ultimately fail. There is no perfect kid. So if your kid fails and they are your source of life, then you'll fail along with them. You will smother them to death. It won't work. Only in Jesus can we have joyful, meaningful lives. Only in Jesus can you be the parent God has designed you to be. Only in Jesus can you be the worker God has designed you to be. Only in Jesus can you be the student God has designed you to be. It's from him that we must draw life.
The fact of abiding is that life is utterly meaningless apart from Jesus. But with Jesus, there is the power to be transformed from the inside out. You see, Jesus came to do what the people of the Old Testament were supposed to do and didn't. That's one of the, the images that's behind what Jesus was getting at in John 15. The Jews in the Old Testament were often called God's vineyard. They were to bear fruit as God's people. They were to be a light to the world to show what it's like to live for God. But ultimately, passages like Isaiah 5 and Psalm 80 show that they failed to live the life God had designed for them. So Jesus is saying in this passage that he came to be the true Israel. He came to display what life lived for God actually lived like, looks like. He embodied the joy of being God's obedient people. And so everything in the Old Testament that we're told, here's what life is like ultimately living with God for God. Friends, that's the life that's available to you in Christ. Jesus fulfilled it, and now he offers it to us. But how? Well, we've talked about the fact of abiding, what it actually is. So now let's spend a few minutes on how. How is it that we can dwell with or abide in or remain vitally connected to Jesus? In other words, what's Jesus' part and what's our part? Well, the means of abiding is that the power to live a fruitful life in Christ comes from God himself. If I could say that again. The power to live a joyful, fruitful life, particularly of Christ-like love, comes from God himself. If I could speak to a few of you in the room, and I don't know who you are, actually. If you're a grumpy, uptight, judgmental Christian, you know who you are. If you're becoming more hard to live with, not easier. If you're becoming more arrogant, more prideful, more rude, more angry. If your Bible reading and your praying and your coming to church is producing that, do you know that can happen? Do you know even it's not all that unusual? What would happen if you believed this sentence? The power to live a joyful, fruitful life of Christ-like love comes from God himself. What would happen in you if you actually believed that? You see, what you're believing is something different. What you're believing is that your self-effort to obey God makes you right with God. And that doesn't work. So what you're finding by experience is that self-effort can make you appear on the outside to be a happier, more joyful, more loving Christian. But it's actually rotting your insides because you're cutting yourself off from the source, from the vine. Do you get that? It doesn't work. The Bible is clear. You have no ability to live a life of love by gritting your teeth and trying harder. You don't need to try harder. You need to remain connected to the vine. You're becoming more judgmental and grumpy because you're living a religion of self-dependence. 
not Christianity. Christianity teaches that the power to obey God comes from God. Brothers and sisters, we must learn how to be consciously mindful of what God has given us in the gospel. To be ever aware that anything good in our lives happens, has happened because of God. To be thoughtful in our reliance upon Jesus. Now, how does that happen? Well, look at verse 7. I want to read it again. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to bring my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I've loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Now, this is not the way we think, so it's confusing. But let's think through it closely for a minute together. Jesus says, if, Jesus says, we abide by trusting in his love and believing his word. That that's how abiding happens. And it's cyclical in nature. So it works like this. When we trust Jesus' love actively throughout the day, then we'll be continually tapping back into the truth that the gospel is the power to live everyday life. Are you with me so far? So if, if we start the day by saying, before we ever get out of bed, and I'm talking to those of you in the room who are Christians, those of you who are not, you don't have this power to live from, but you can. But those of you in the room who are Christians, then before your feet ever turn around and touch the floor, while that alarm is still blaring, you're saying to yourself, God, my only means to get out of this bed and to live in a way that's pleasing to you is to do it in your strength. I can't do anything of good, of lasting value apart from you. So after you've hit snooze six times and you're standing and you're walking towards the bathroom in a stupor and you're half, your eyes are half open, they're full of crusties, before you've ever looked in the mirror, praise God, you're saying, God, I will make a horrible mess of your name today unless I remain in you, unless I walk with you. So as you're in the shower, you're thinking about your day. You're saying, God, I have this appointment and it's gonna be difficult. God, I have this that I'm so excited about. God, I have this assignment due at school. God, I have this person I have to interact with that is like a cheese grater on my back. And God, I can't do it today apart from you. So would you help me to live in your power? Do you hear me? Friends, that's what it means to live as a Christian. It means not, I'm going to get up and, by golly, I'm going to try really hard to do what God wants me to do. No, it means, God, live your life in me. Live through me. That's what Jesus is talking about. Trusting in his love for us. Coming back again to the power of the gospel. Then we'll find that we're believing his word as we do that. 
then we'll find that as we are believing his word, then we're obeying him. And we'll find that as we're obeying him, then there's ways in which we're not obeying him. And so we'll come back to repentance. We'll say, Father, I blew it there. We'll receive his forgiveness and be overcome again that the gospel's true and the cycle will start over again. That's what it means. It's learning to live every day with Jesus, resting in his love. This morning I was reading um, a book by a pastor that's here in the valley, a guy named um, Bill Freeman. And he said this about this passage. The very nature of the Christian life requires that we live a life of being supplied daily. We begin this life by receiving. He's talking about we receive salvation. And then we go on by receiving. The Christian life is a supplied life. It's a life of continually being a branch drawing from the vine. Continually getting nourishment from God. Living in dependency upon him. Joyfully relying on him. Taking him at his word. Now, in a sense, all that sounds pretty heady and impractical, doesn't it? I mean, let's just be honest. That sounds like the stuff for super Christians who sit in a room all alone and read the Bible all day and never have any contact with outside forces that are difficult, right? Let's be honest. Doesn't it sound like that? In a sense, it feels hopeless because, first of all, we're still busted people on the inside. And then you have all the busted people around us on the outside. In the end, brothers and sisters, all that this means is abiding, is living life from the position of being loved unconditionally by God. That's all it is. It's in any and every circumstance, we are reminded whether something is incredibly wonderful or utterly terrible whether something is exactly what we hoped it would be, or we're devastated, that in any and every circumstance, we're coming back again to the truth. God is sovereign. God is good. God is loving. God has allowed this so that I could know him more because he loves me. And I'm going to consciously come back to the truth God has loved me unconditionally in Christ. That's it. My dear friend, if, if, if you've accepted Christ, if you've become a believer, that's what the rest of your life is about. It's about coming back to that again and again and again and again and again. And some days it's easy, isn't it? And some days you are sure you could never do this again another day. And all of that is by God's design. Because he is ridding you of the presence of sin. And the only way that happens is by daily living in dependency upon him. Choosing to be aware of his wonderful love and use the truths of the gospel in your own life. Friends, being a Christian is an incredibly intimate thing. It's God redeeming you, naming you as his own, 
and then allowing you to draw life from his life, participating in his life, receiving from him. But I still haven't told you actually how to do that, have I? We've, we've batted around, we've hinted at it, but if we take the whole of the scriptures, then we really find there are three main ways, three main steps that we must take to abide in his love. You see, we abide by trusting and believing, but how is it that we do that? Well, the scriptures tell us we do it by continually being people in his word. And we do it by prayer, and we do it by community, by relationships with one another. We express dependency upon God in those ways. Now, the tricky thing about that is you can be a person who's not a Christian and come to the Bible all the time. You can be a person who's not a Christian and pray. You know, atheists get a lot of press in America today, but there are incredibly few of them. Most people in America, regardless of their religious status, are people who pray. Actually, most of the time, even people who say they're atheists are people who pray. Why? Part of it is because we're mirrors. We're, we're instinctively aware that there's something, someone outside of us to live for. And so even when we say we don't believe in God, when the circumstances are right, we still find, I believe in God. So, and you can be not a Christian and come to a gathering like this and make great friends, right? And here's the tricky thing. You can be a Christian and you can be a person who's every day I'm getting up and I'm reading the Bible and by golly, I've got my list and I'm, I'm praying through this list and dadgummit, Christians are supposed to go to church so I'm coming to church and do those things in such a way that you're drawing no life from the vine. Who would be an honest soul in the room today and say, I've experienced that? Is there one? There's a bunch of you. Friends, we have to do those activities in such a way that we're expressing in them what we sung earlier. Lord, I need you. Every hour, I need you. Because if we don't have that posture, then even the right disciplines become the wrong things because they feed pride and arrogance and they don't cause us to draw life from God. And so the first thing we've got to do before we walk in this building or we enter someone's house for gospel community or we meet up at a Starbucks to do one-on-one -on -one Bible reading with a non-Christian or we get up in the morning and read our scriptures or we're in the shower and we're praying about our day. The first thing we have to do is remind ourselves, God, I am not the vine. I am merely a branch. God doing this doesn't somehow earn me more right standing before you. God, I'm doing these things because they are the means through which I abide, I remain, I connect back with you. The act in itself is nothing. The act is the way that God says, 
you focus your mind and your heart and your will back on me because we instinctively are prone to wander. Now, we could spend a lot more time here, but for time's sake, we need to move on. Real quickly, the result of abiding. We've said what abiding is. We've said how we do it. Now, what's the result? Well, the result of abiding is that, that we bear fruit. Let me put it another way. How does an angry person become gentle? How does a fearful worrier become immovable like a rock? How does a man overcome with lust begin to think of women as, as wonderful people, not objects? How does a prideful, self-serving person become someone who holds their possessions loosely and gives them away and enjoys doing it? How does that happen? Well, Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. That's how. That's how. That's how radical change happens. God saves you and then God allows you to draw from his life to such a degree that the very power that created heaven and earth, the very power that raised Jesus from the dead is doing something no less powerful. He's changing you. Amen. And he's changing me. Friends, God's design is that you would be productive. That you would live a life of joy poured out for the good of others. That you would be experiencing him changing you. And so many of us are living life of little joy because we're pursuing life through unproductive means. The most astonishing truth in Christianity is that God will do in you what God commands you to do. We are the branches and he is the vine. Give yourself for the spread of the gospel and the development of fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and you'll be overflowing with joy as you do. Let's pray. Before we pray, I want to encourage you to take a moment just to prayerfully consider where you are with Christ, whether you need to be saved by him, or whether as a Christian you need to come back and draw life and nourishment from him. Take a moment and pray.